0: Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays here on February at 17. Hope that you all are surviving this brutal cold that's all over the country right now. You know, whether you're in Texas or Ohio or wherever you are, uh, it's cold just about everywhere in the country right now. So where I am, Dan. You're, you're out in Los Angeles. You're, you're in like one of the only places in the country that's not terrible right now.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'm allowed to complain about it only being in the 50s instead no, of the 70s. you are not. Not, no, not, not right now. I'll, I'll wait and I'll do that off
0: air. No, you are not allowed to complain at all about uh, anything, anything above freezing right now. You're not allowed to complain because most of the country is dealing with uh, terrible weather right now, which has me uh, looking forward to spring, You know, looking forward to warmer weather and uh, spring football and uh, March Madness. And you know, Ohio State fans got a lot of reasons to be looking forward to March Madness right now because this Ohio State basketball team is rolling right now, and we're we're going to get to that. We're going to talk a good amount about the basketball Buckeyes today because uh, they're playing really well, and, and they've got a huge game that we're looking forward to this weekend uh, coming up against Michigan. But did want to start with a little bit of football talk because there was some news on that front this this past week uh, when we recorded the show uh, last week. We we really didn't know. How things were gonna play out with the al Washington situation uh, there was you know of course uh, two Sundays ago I believe it was Super Bowl Sunday the report emerged that Tennessee was pursuing him as its new defensive coordinator and Tennessee uh, made him a you know from what we've heard a pretty big offer you know well over a million dollars to be their defensive coordinator and you know, he he genuinely considered that offer. You know, I, I know now that he's decided to stay at Ohio State, you know, I'll see some Ohio State fans and say, oh, I don't think he was ever going to go there. I think this was all, uh, you know, built up and he was never going to go to, you know, they'll call it a quote unquote dumpster fire over there in uh, Knoxville. But uh, this is something he genuinely considered. You know, this is an opportunity for him to make. More money than he's making at Ohio State. Um, I'm sure he's going to get a raise at Ohio State, but you know it sounds like what he was going to get at Tennessee was not a dollar amount that Ohio State was going to match. And it was also an opportunity for him to be a defensive coordinator, which sounds like he might be in line for a maybe a run game coordinator title at Ohio State. But he's not going to be leading the defense at Ohio State. That's going to be Kerry Combs. So this was an opportunity for Al Washington to potentially advance his career, but he. Seriously considered, but ultimately decided to stay at Ohio State for at least one more year. And, you know, I think for the impact that he's made, you know, both on the field and on the recruiting trail, that's a a really good thing for Ohio
1: State. It is. And it sort of goes back to the continuity that, that we've talked about because Ryan Day's talked about it. And I think that this is one of those moments where, to me, you bringing in Al Washington, if you're Ryan Day, because you have that relationship with him and because um, you can potentially groom him to be some sort of a co-defensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, someone who's going to make decisions on this defense. And you bring him in initially as a linebacker coach and see how it grows. And he's obviously been at Ohio State for two years uh, the linebackers have been have been good both of the seasons that he's been here. You see that 2022 recruiting class and, and what Ohio State has and the linebackers coming in, and it seems like he's making a real impact on the recruiting trail. And you think, like, this is sort of the ideal kind of guy that when Ryan Day talks about continuity, you want him to keep. And you imagine that this is the plan, um, keeping these kind of coaches for the long-term giving them promotions within the program and and, and building your staff out that way. And I think this was an important moment just in regard to that point alone, Um, because you're right. Like out Washington, uh, Tennessee sort of is a dumpster fire. Like, like, I I don't even think it's an alleged dumpster fire. It is a dumpster fire. That's, that's, that's pretty much an objective fact. And it's been that way for a little while now at the same time, if say, say you're out there in the world making $50,000, if someone were to ask you, Hey, do you want? Do you want to raise for hundred fifty thousand dollars that will lock you into that raise for the next three years? You might have to work for a dumpster fire. Uh, you would still consider it, <laughs> and it would and, and it would be totally understandable if you bolted. But I think that the 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 number one point I come back to is, you know, I I will be interested to see to hear what Al Washington says when we finally get a chance to hear from him. But I do think Ohio State has a strong pitch to him in that we're seeing what Ohio state is doing and what Ryan day is doing about promoting from within. And to me that gives Al Washington, the idea that he has a lot of upward mobility still to come in his job at Ohio state.
0: Yeah. I would have had a hard time turning that money down to be honest with you. But I think that, you know, for Al Washington, I think he can look at it and say, you know, I'm in a good spot right now. And I think clearly there's a strong pull for him to be in Columbus. This is where he grew up. He likes having his family here. Uh, and I think he loves being at Ohio state. And I think, you know, ultimately that was what made him turn that job down is that he you know really wanted to be at Ohio state. And I think, you know, he did recognize the issues that were at Tennessee and realized he might be able to get another opportunity going forward. And I think, and I think that's the question I have now is okay, a year from now, are we going to be right back in this same situation? Because if you look at the position he's in at Ohio state, I mean, you'll hear some fans will say, well, next year he will be the defensive coordinator because Kerry Combs is going to get fired. But ideally for Ohio state, Gary Combs is going to get the defense turned around this year. And then he's still going to be the defensive coordinator in 2022, at which point Al Washington is going to have to make a decision again, because most likely if Tennessee's coming to him with that kind of offer, most likely there's going to be other schools out there that are interested in bringing him in as a defensive coordinator next year. And so, we could be right back in this position a year from now with, with Al Washington having to decide whether you know an opportunity to you know advance his career elsewhere is a better opportunity for him than than staying at Ohio State for another year but I think at least for now to not lose him in February after Ryan Day had already thought he had finalized his staff, you know I think especially after making the moves they had already made to promote Matt Barnes and Parker Fleming, in the interest of continuity, I think it would have been a big blow if you then had to go hire someone else at that linebacker coach position. And maybe then you might have some, you know, second thoughts on, should should we have really have, have done this the way that we're doing it if we're now going to lose one of those key guys we're relying on uh, to continue that continuity?
1: Yeah, it's like, I don't think either of us would sit here and say, like, if Al Washington leaves, they're never going to recover from that. Like if Al Washington has left uh, Ohio state, Ryan day probably would have had 150 linebackers coaches calling him to say, Hey, can I get an interview interview for this job? I mean, they're being a position coach at Ohio state is so coveted. And that's, that's, that's goes back to the, to our conversation from last week about whether promoting from within when it comes to quality control coaches and stuff like that and making them actual position coaches is the right move. Um, and you know I it's it's interesting um, it's interesting to me the situation that Ryan that, that Al Washington has this season too because you know this is a really important year for an Ohio State linebacker coach just just the situation that Ohio State has when you're thinking about they're losing Pete Warner, they're losing Tup and they're losing Baron Browning, they're losing Justin Hilliard. and I know that we've talked so much about, what who are now rising seniors which is sort of hard to believe because it feels like they were underclassmen freshmen just just last week uh but Taraja Mitchell Dallas Gantt and Kayvon Pope um are sort of next in line you have a Craig Young a Tommy Eichenberg a Cody Simon you have all these other guys who we really haven't seen a lot from and one it's it's Al Washington who's been coaching them the last couple seasons um and and two you know there is there is a lot to replace like you, you have to you have to figure out exactly how to deploy these guys. He, we, he had known commodities he was dealing with. He walked in the room and all of these guys that he was coaching had already been starters when he walked in the door. None of these guys have been starters at all. Um, and I think that that's where maybe more so than losing out Washington um, just in a vacuum is, is important. And it, it's this specific season. And the fact that he knows who he, who these guys are, he probably knows better than anyone how to deploy them and, and how they fit together.
0: I still don't know whether we're supposed to call to Roger Mitchell, Dallas, Gant and cave Pope seniors or juniors or red shirt juniors or whatever, because yeah, they've got two years of eligibility left now. So everything's all out of whack in terms of what class and what year everybody is. But to, to your point, I, I think that's very true. But I think, that would have made losing Al Washington this year specifically really tough because they do have so much turnover for that position. But at least you have guys that are veterans in the program who Al Washington has coached for the last two years that he knows what those guys bring to the table. He's helped them develop. They can have some continuity in that development rather than having to bring someone else new who then has to learn about all of these linebackers those guys would then have to adapt to another new coach. And, you know, I I don't think that's what you want when you're in a position like you're in uh, of having to replace basically your entire linebacker core from the previous season.
1: Yeah. And one other additional thing is, you know, when they make the decision to promote Parker Fleming um, and in the spot that was Greg Madison's, you know, Greg Madison coached the Sam's. And I imagine without Parker Fleming, with Parker Fleming focusing on special teams, I imagine that probably means that Al Washington is now coaching the Sam's as well. Yes. So he I, I, he has additional positional responsibility just in that regard too.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, he, he, that's a thing you would have, you know, they, they wouldn't have been able to promote from within if, if Al Washington left. They would have had oh. to go outside the program, and they would have had to find an experienced linebacker coach who could come in and take over that that role. When uh, you know, again, it's Ohio State. I'm sure they would have found somebody good to find that role. There would have been tons of people interested in that role. So, you know, I mean, we did we were asked a couple of weeks ago to rank the assistant coaches and I think I had Al Washington 6th and you had him 7th when also including Mickey Maratti and Mark Pantone. So, would Al Washington leaving Ohio State have been a death blow to Ryan Day's program? No, it would not have. But when you look at, you know, the continuity factor, you know with the linebackers and then you also look at what he's done on the recruiting trail which quite frankly tennessee is offering out washington that kind of money not because of a coach he is on the field but because of the kind of recruiter he is that that's the reason why he's getting that kind of money because as a coach i mean he's never been a coordinator i mean he's i think he's a very good linebacker coach but he's still relatively unproven as a coach in terms of whether he can go coordinate a defense the reason they're offering him that kind of money is because he's ranked as the number one recruiter for the class of 2022 right now, and he's shown that he can be a star on the recruiting trail. Yeah,
1: and and we've never actually seen him coach a starting linebacker he's recruited. (laughs) Like, it's sort of weird to say that, but we haven't seen that yet. And we still won't this year, potentially. Potentially,
0: yeah. Potentially, because it could be three guys who were recruited by Bill Davis. (laughs) That's a name that
1: people want to hear right now, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) There were also a few additional hires made to Ohio State staff this past week. C.J. Barnett, a former Ohio State safety, was hired as the director of player development. And then Ohio State also hired two analysts. Todd Fitch, who was previously the interim head coach and offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt, is now an offensive analyst at Ohio State. And Paul Rhodes, who uh, was most recently the defensive coordinator at Arizona, has been the head coach at Iowa State uh, a while back. Uh, He's now on staff as a defensive analyst, and you know this is a new route for Ryan Day to go in his third year of of hiring um, some veteran coaches as analysts. I mean, you mentioned the name Bill Davis. That's actually how he started at Ohio State. Urban Meyer did do this a few times in terms of bringing on veteran coaches to serve in an analyst role, but we hadn't seen Ryan Day do it yet. And you know, I think if you know, I, I was actually going to ask Kyle Jones about this last week on the show and we ran out of time, but fortunately he did write about it this week to kind of explain, you know, why analysts are a thing in college football, what the difference is between an analyst and a quality control coach and a graduate assistant. Cause you know, it's not something that really gets talked about a lot. And I honestly had to ask Kyle, like what the differences are between these positions, because I really didn't know, but Effectively, you know, in bringing on these guys as analysts, effectively their job is going to be to study film, to to watch opponents, and to help the coaches with their game planning. Neither of them are going to be out there coaching players on the field. You know, they're they're not going to be working with a linebacker on their technique or working with the quarterbacks on how to throw the football. They're going to be solely focused on game planning. And, and on breaking down film and, you know, trying to find tendencies and opponents and, and helping the, the, the other coaches with their game planning. And I think, you know, a big driving factor in this for Ryan Day is the fact that you do have a lot of young coaches. You have guys like Parker Fleming and, and Corey Dennis and, and Matt Barnes, a lot of younger coaches who, you know, don't have as much experience with that stuff on the staff. And to bring in you know, two guys, one on each side of a ball, who have a lot of experience in the game and have a lot of experience game planning, that can help just in terms of giving the coaches another set of eyes, another mind in the room to try to shore up their game plans each week.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about it right now. I'm unconvinced that until they leave, we will say their names again. <laughs> like their impact we will basically never know um it will be impossible for us to know because all of their impact will be based on you know what what an analyst to coach relationship the analysts aren't coaching the players they're just talking to the other coaches and that's pretty much it
0: yeah and i think the important point here is you know i saw you know some of the feedback i saw from fans when these hires were reported on last week was well, did you see how bad Arizona's defense was last year? Are we sure we want Paul Rhodes, you know, working on our defensive game plan? I mean, did you see, you know, Vanderbilt didn't win any games in, last year? Are we sure we want this guy working with the offense? Don't worry about that. It's not worth worrying about that when we're talking about an analyst. Because, again, you know, the, these are low on the totem pole hires. You know, the, the, these guys – you know, they're there to help. They're not going to be the ones who are actually making decisions about what plays are called. They're not going to be the ones who are actually making decisions on what the scheme is going to look like, but they're going to be in there to provide input that the other coaches can can utilize, provide data. You know, a lot of what they are going to do is stuff like, you know, they're going to be charting games and they're going to be tracking, you know, different data and stuff that then the, the actual full-time coaches can then utilize. In, in, You know, because obviously when you're a position coach, you know, you've got to, you've got to watch film and you've got to work on a game plan and all that. But then you've also got to work with players and you've also got to recruit and you've got to do all these different things. So, you know, these guys can just focus on, you know, that specific area and help out in that specific area. But it's not worth agonizing over the fact that, oh, well, you know, Paul Rhodes, defense at Arizona was bad last year because you got to understand the role that this is, I mean, I I don't know what their salaries are yet, but these guys most likely aren't even making six figures. Uh, If you want, when you're hiring someone for this kind of role, if you're looking for a veteran coach, somebody who's been in the game for a long time, you're not going to get somebody who had success the year before because that person is going to have a full-time job. So to get someone in this role, you're, you're basically looking for somebody who was on a staff that was not retained the year before and they're looking for a job and you know for those guys basically this is an opportunity for them to you know stay in the game this year and most likely next year they're going to look elsewhere for jobs you know for full-time jobs elsewhere I mean unless unless a job opens up on Ohio State staff and Ryan Day believes they're the right fit for it that's possible since we know that he likes promoting from within but honestly that's not what I would anticipate with these guys. I I, I wouldn't anticipate that, you know, I think some people, you know, specifically for Paul Rhodes higher, I think some people were looking at that because it was happening right around the time of the Al Washington situation. And they were wondering if like, they should be reading between the lines there. I wouldn't because I think this was something that was already in the works before the before Al Washington even got the offer from Tennessee. And I think this is just something they want to do to supplement the coaching staff and, there's a good chance both of these guys will get other jobs next year. And then Ryan Day will look for a couple more veteran analysts. But, you know, like Colin said, I mean, it's, these aren't guys who are going to have massive roles of consequence. But, you know, I, one thing I do look at here and say is, when well, we just saw, you know, Alabama dominate Ohio State. Alabama clearly looked like the more prepared team in the national championship game. And now Ryan Day is taking a move out of a Nick Saban playbook by hiring a couple of veteran analysts, which has
1: been such a common practice at Alabama. Yeah. If they were hiring these guys as coaches, then I think their past coaching experience would be very relevant. Absolutely. I think it's only, I I think it's only a minor part of this. And it's really hard to evaluate an analyst because essentially you're evaluating how they watch film. And like, let's be honest, like, we cover Ryan day. I don't have a clue how Ryan day watches film. Like <laughs> you, you have to be behind the scenes. You have to talk to people who know uh, specifically about that aspect of him and um, in, in a deep manner. And if you look at these two guys, uh, both Fitch and Rhodes, like they do have connections to Ryan day. I mean, Paul Rhodes, it's it, he, before I was even born, he was a graduate assistant at Ohio. before State. I was even born. Yeah. <laughs> um, when he was, uh, um, When he was at Pitt, you know, you know who one of his position coaches was. It was Jeff Affley. Like these are the kinds of sort of minor connections. You know, he worked under Chip Kelly, who's a a Ryan Day guy, and like I'm sure that all of these guys have an idea of what Paul Rhodes is behind the scenes, and and that is how you know I'm I'm sure that he gained enough confidence from Ohio State to to bring them on.
0: And And I do think it's important too to see that Ryan Day can start you know, building more and more of those connections in the industry. Cause I think that has been one of the questions that people have had about Ryan day is, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of Rolodex as a Nick Saban or an urban Meyer. So, you know, it and, and we've seen, especially if, you know, a promoting from within and stuff too, like it brings up questions like, can he go out and, you know, make, you know, outside hires bring people in who he doesn't have connections to in this case, there's still some connections to both of these guys. So Todd Fitch, he worked with at Boston college. So, you know, these are very logical hires, but I think it is important for him to continue to to branch out and, and build more, you know, limbs onto that, that tree. Because, you know, as we know, I mean, eventually with guys like Al Washington or, you know, Brian Hartline or whoever, eventually there's going to be opportunities that come along for those guys that they're not going to want to pass up. And Ryan Day is going to have to be able to prove that he can get through turnover on his
1: coaching staff. The other guy who was a logical hire, uh, C.J. Barnett. <laughs> and when, when when that sort of, when that news came down, it was like, well, you know, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I think that was kind of one of the first names that a lot of people thought of when Ryan Stamper left for who, you know, could be a potential replacement for him because, uh, for one, he's a former player in the program. And I think, you know, that definitely makes a lot of sense for that role, which for those who don't know, you know, basically Ryan Stamper, uh, he was the one who was in charge of a real life Wednesday's program. That was probably the most uh, public facing part of his role. And, you know, basically what, again, what CJ Burnett will be doing is, you know, he, he'll be working, you know, exclusively with the players on off the field stuff. You know, he's not going to be out there coaching. He's not, he's not even going to be watching film or game planning or any of that. He's going to be all on, working on off field player development kind of stuff, real life Wednesdays and job fairs and all, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, one thing they like having in this role because Ryan Stamper was in this role too, is they like having a former cop in this role. And CJ Barnett was a Columbus police officer the past couple of years. And I think, you know, Ryan Stamper was a guy that behind the scenes, whenever there was a legal situation that Ohio state had to navigate that you know he was a guy who was uh, involved in in dealing with that stuff and you know fortunately for Ryan Day there hasn't been a ton of that I mean there's obviously you know one situation last year that they had to deal with with Amir Reap and Jocelyn Wint. but you know otherwise there hasn't been a ton of that at Ohio State in the last few years but I do think they like having somebody who has some experience in that law enforcement field uh, for when those situations do arise,
1: yeah, when the when the bleep goes down, uh, it seems like Ohio State likes to have someone like that on staff. Makes sense.
0: Which is, but I which think too. Sense.
1: I mean, I think too. Just beyond that, I
0: mean, I think you know, CJ Barnett is a guy that you know he's got some real world experience. You know, it's been a while since I've talked to him, but you know, in the past when I had talked to him, you know, he's always a guy who you know always came across as a very smart. Uh, guy and somebody who you know can be a great mentor uh, for young men uh, you know he was a team captain when he was at Ohio State so I, I think he's a very natural fit for this role again not a role that we're going to be talking about a lot uh, because it's he's not somebody who's going to be involved in actually coaching players but you know if, if you talk to the players in the program you know they you know they were you know very adamant that you know Ryan Stamper was a guy who was important uh to what they did so you know certainly they're going to expect you know cj barnett uh you know in terms of you know that building culture within the program and in terms of you know building opportunities for players they're going to expect him to have that same kind of impact
1: so we've, we've gotten to this point talking about football i feel like it's only natural to spend a little bit of time talking about hoops because you know we've talked to, we've talked I, I feel like each each passing week. We get a little bit and a little bit more optimistic about Ohio State's postseason chances, just little by little. And it correlates with the fact that little by little, it feels like Ohio State has gotten better and they're impressing more people around the country and they're improving. And right now, as we sit here today on Tuesday afternoon, it's Ohio State is 17 and four overall, 11 and four in the Big Ten. They play Penn State on the road on Thursday. And then they play Michigan for a battle of top four teams on Sunday. And as we sit here today, how much are you going to pay attention to the Penn State game knowing that the Michigan game is looming? Yeah, I don't know how much I'm going to pay attention to the Penn State game. I mean, <laughs> I, I think I'm looking. You're the, you're the average Ohio State Hoops follower, though. You're not, um, you I are am. not someone who's locked in all the time. So I think it's a, I think it's a good barometer. No, you're right. You're right. I am
0: because I do write about it a little bit, talk about a little bit on here. But, you know, you're a full time basketball guy. You know, I'm mostly a football guy. So you're right. I mean, will I watch the game on Thursday? Yeah. Would I say that I'm like looking forward to it or like really anxious to like see how that game plays out? Not really. Now, I guess the one thing I wonder is I would hope that the team does not feel that same way because I I do (laughs) wonder if maybe Thursday's game, maybe that's kind of a let down trap game kind of opportunity here because things have been rolling along so smoothly that I think, you know, people kind of look at a game like Penn state on Thursday and they say, well, you know, that should be another win for the Buckeyes. But the first game against Penn state was actually pretty close. Now, granted, I think Ohio state has gotten better since then, but I do wonder you know, I, obviously maturity has been a big thing for this team, and I think this team really has gotten into a, a good mindset of really, you know, playing at their best game in and game out. But I just do wonder, because I think we're all looking forward to that Michigan game on Sunday, if maybe this is a game where you worry a little bit about Ohio State not being quite fully focused.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a totally reasonable thing. It's it's interesting because this team, it feels like I've I've, I've had that thought for a lot of games in the past two months, basically. Because the Big Ten is so deep that even if you look at a, at a Penn State team that just lost to Nebraska, that is seven and 7-10. If you look at Ken Palm ratings, they're the 37th best team in the country. They're a team that Ohio State only beat by four points when, when Ohio State was, was rolling. Um, so, yeah, they should beat Penn State. But to act like Penn State's a complete pushover, uh, I don't think you can really do that just based on past history and, and what we've seen from from Penn State this season. That said, I do want to talk about the
0: Michigan game because in my mindset, you know, I, I feel like Ohio State, like I feel like they're a really good team. I feel like they're playing really well. But to me, Sunday feels like the real test of how good this team is because it feels like there's a lot of really good teams in the Big Ten, but Michigan's on another level. And to me – Sunday is going to be to me a game that really shows me okay is this Ohio State team really a national championship contender or is there another level that that, that they would need to get to because you know everybody keeps talking about Baylor and Gonzaga but I think Michigan in terms of talent in terms of the way they played they had that long pause so they don't have as much of a resume but I I think Michigan's right there and I and I go into a game the game Sunday like I have some confidence that Ohio State can win because of how well Ohio State is playing, but it also wouldn't shock me if Michigan just ends up being a little bit too good for Ohio State to win.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because Michigan's a little bit in the same boat. Um, their best wins are they, they beat Wisconsin twice, and, and outside of that, it's Purdue, it's Maryland, it's Minnesota, it's Northwestern. It's sort of sort of those middle to lower tier Big Ten teams. And if you look at them, they they also haven't played in Ohio State. And I think that on both sides, you sort of wonder, you know, what are these teams sealing? And and I agree with you. I think, you know, if you were to if you were to think about what's the most dangerous team for Ohio State in the Big Ten, I think it's probably Michigan. And it's because if you look up and down their lineup, I mean Michigan's just Michigan's the number seven team in adjusted offensive efficiency and the number seven team in adjusted defensive efficiency. If you look at their metrics, they're really good. If you look at the roster, it's really talented. I mean, they have Isaiah Livers, they have they have Hunter Dickinson at, at center, who's you know well over seven feet. They have Franz Wagner, who's a, who's going to be a first round NBA or first round NBA draft pick um, here later this year. Uh, they they have a lot of pieces, um, and I think if you were to just look at pure talent. You know, I don't know that Ohio State is quite as talented as them, but Ohio State hasn't won necessarily based on just their talent. They've, they, they've, they've won uh, based on role players stepping up, based on Dwayne Washington and EJ Liddell you know, powering this team. They've, they've, been, they've won with their entire 11-man rotation, and that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that kind of approach against what might be the, the third-best team in the country. Um, and coming out of that game, maybe we think of Ohio state as the third best team in the country. And I think that that's sort of what the battle between these two teams is, it's to be the leader of that second tier behind Gonzaga and behind Baylor. Yeah.
0: I mean, if Ohio state can get through this week with two more wins, then when we when run the show next week, I'm going to be really confident about what this Ohio state team can do. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, if there's no explanation
1: get, needed about that, no, I mean, it,
0: it really isn't, but, in terms of what they need to do to have a chance to actually win this game on Sunday, what do you view as the biggest challenge Michigan is going to prevent and what does Ohio State have to do to be able to overcome that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I don't you know, I don't know if there's like one specific thing that it's like if they do this, they win and if they don't do this, they lose. A lot of it's just a pretty similar to what Ohio State needs to do every single game. Like you need to have EJ Liddell, Zed Key, and Kyle Young, you know, control the paint as much as they can and utilize their quickness, their versatility, their ability to stretch defenses out, um, and, you know, their energy to, to 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 win the battle in the front court. And I think that that is maybe the number one thing that you point to just because Hunter Dickinson is so good and he affected that game against Wisconsin so much uh, with his ability to, to control the paint you know, Ohio State's ability to do it, to attack him offensively um, and, and get around him offensively is important. And then it's ability to defend him um, because you know he's averaging 15 a game. Um, he's someone who we've seen go off plenty of times this season. So I think that that's the number one thing. I mean, the other thing is this is a high powered Ohio State offense that, that can hit a run in a flurry. And this is one of the best Ohio State offenses we, we've seen in some time. Michigan defense is really, really good, um, and I do wonder what it'll be like facing what might be the the best defense that Ohio State has faced quite yet this season.
0: I'm just glad we have an actual Ohio State Michigan sports game to actually talk about.
1: <laughs> That's fair. That's mm-hmm. fair. I hadn't even really considered that. Although it's, I do think it's it, it's been messing me up that it's at one p.m. on Sunday instead of noon on Saturday. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good game. It's gonna be definitely.
0: Uh... You know, this is a real. You know, in basketball, I mean, everybody talks about the football rivalry. But in basketball, this should actually be a really competitive, really good game. You know, I, I think you know the biggest game of the year yet uh, for this Ohio State men's
1: basketball team. But there's a few big games left in this regular season. We've got. Let, let, can can I can I expand on that one more time? Because I think that I think it's interesting to go beyond. I think the I think the Ohio State Michigan rivalry in basketball. You know, Chris Holman's been asked about it several times over the years. Obviously, because every time they play against Michigan and he will
0: be again this week, I'm sure he
1: will. And I'm sure it'll be the same answer, which is essentially it's it's not football. Like you can't pretend that it's football because it's not football. It's Ohio not. State, Michigan and football is different. Um, and, and he knows that, you know, I think Juwan Howard knows that as well. At the same time, you know, these are the kind of games that fans remember, even in basketball. Um, and if you look at what they have in the future, I'll, I'll write about this at some point. I just think that this is the beginning. Like, I think that this has the potential to be the beginning of some great Ohio State-Michigan basketball games over the next few years. Because if you look at what, where Chris Holtman has this Ohio State program trending, it, it seems to be trending in the right direction for Ohio State. Um, when you think about the fact that, you know, they'll lose C.J. Walker, you know, they might lose Kyle Young. We don't really know if he might decide to use his extra year of eligibility given to him by the NCAA or not. Um, but even if they lost him – you know, they have a lot of important pieces on this team coming back next season. You, and you think about Malachi Branham, who's a borderline five-star and Kalen Etzler joining the Buckeyes next year. Um, year after that, they, they, they have a five-star point guard or, or a guy who will be a five-star point guard and Bruce Thornton. And they also have Roddy Gale who's going to be a top 50 recruit. Chris Holman has this thing trending in the right direction. If you look at what Michigan has, they're going to have a lot of turnover this off season but they have the number one recruiting class in twenty twenty one coming in, and it features a top ten overall prospect, two two five stars. Um, I think it's several other top seventy five players. Uh, they are loaded, and I just feel like this is this is the beginning, to me, of of what has a chance to be a really interesting next few years of Ohio State Michigan basketball.
0: You wrote about how Ohio State has a daunting path to a number one seed, and you know, you look at the rest of this regular season and they've got three really big games here in, in their last five games coming up here with Iowa and Illinois rematch is also looming. When you look at the rest of this season, you know, these next five games and then the big 10 tournament, how many of these five games does Ohio state need to win? And how far does Ohio state need to go into big 10 tournament in your opinion, to, to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament?
1: Yeah, it's really it's really hard to know because you're also playing the game of what are the other teams gonna do. So it's a complete guessing game because all of the what ifs, like there are as many what ifs for Ohio State as there are with every other other every other team in the country. So that's it's just hard to know specifically. What I will say is like I don't view the Michigan game as being like if they lose that game they're not a one seed. I that would that's just wrong. Um, it is. Uh, I think they could lose two games. In the rest of the regular season, and still be a one seed. It just depends on who that is. I think if you were to pick and choose, uh, like the if their path to a one seed is is made easier if they beat Michigan and if they beat Illinois because those are the other two teams competing for a one seed. So uh, that's the that's sort of the easiest answer. I would say, you know, my safe bet is I think between this the 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 remaining five games in the regular season and the Big Ten tournament. If they were to lose two games, one game or zero games, I think Ohio State would be a one seed. I don't really know what those games would be. I could be totally wrong because this whole thing is a guessing game between what everybody's doing in the country. But I think as as long as they lose two or fewer games, I think they would be a one seed. Depends on what they are exactly. It depends on how how far they would get in the tournament. But that's sort of where I am as of today.
0: So if Ohio State went like three and two in the regular season here out, and then they lost in the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament. Where do you think that would put Ohio State?
1: Did they beat Michigan and Illinois? Who are their losses to? I mean, that's but that is, it's those are the that's the kind of thing. you All have right, to ask we'll say me.
0: we'll say Michigan and who's the other team that's not great, but they're still playing. Well they, they can they could
1: lose to Iowa. I mean, Iowa's a really good team that's probably not going to get a one seed. Okay, um, yeah, we'll say Michigan and Iowa then. And they, they they got to the semifinals and lost. Um, yeah. Gosh, I'm on the border. I would probably say they'd be a really high two seed, but I could I could see them being a one seed. It depends on what their path would be and, and who they would have beaten. How how that Illinois game would have gone. Um, but it's it it's a really hard thing to know right now. And and I think that you know if you look at the other number two seeds, I mean, there's Alabama. Know, Houston's there, Villanova's there. There's not. There's not the other non Big Ten team other than Illinois that is really right there. And and that's that. That it feels like you know, if Ohio State were to slip up just once, they would overtake them. I don't think that that's the case, which is why I think there's a little bit of wiggle room for Ohio State here. Um, it's just a matter of what exactly happens <laughs> for the other teams. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun to track, and we're going to keep
0: we're going to keep talking about basketball here. Uh, at least part of a show of here each week on real pod Wednesdays, as long as this run keeps going, because uh, the Buckeyes are playing really well. And, you know, this is a, as big of a week as, as they've had yet, I would say.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, we have at least one basketball question from Buck Train that is, how far do you see the Buckeyes going? Do you think they can win it all? Um <laughs> it's it's such a weird question to ask given what the expectations were coming into the season and the fact that like their second best player is probably Dwayne Washington, who's shooting about 36% from the floor. Uh but I can they win it all? I mean, sure. I they can win it all. I'm definitely not gonna pick them to win it all. Um I think that as far as they go, I would probably see the Final Four. If they were to reach the national championship, even if they were reached the Final Four, I would, I would be blown away um, just based on how the season has progressed. I think that my statement that I've been making the past couple of weeks is still, still true. I have no idea what this team's ceiling is, and that's why the Michigan game is so helpful because we've never seen them play a team as well-rounded and as gifted physically as, as Michigan. And if Ohio State goes in and whips Michigan, yeah, I think Ohio State can go to the Final Four. I think Ohio State can probably go to the national championship, depending on their their path. Um, I I don't really know that if you could put a ceiling on Ohio State if they beat if they beat Michigan this weekend. And and I think that that's sort of the that that's why this game is so important to me is because I don't really know what the team's ceiling is. And this is going to this is going to be a great test of, of of how realistic is that Final Four expectation that I think people have in their mind right now. Of oh, this team might actually team might actually do it i think that this this game will be a great it will give us a great idea of that
0: yeah it's like i said before i mean i think this is the biggest test of a year i think you know based uh, i think it's really the game that i'm anticipating to see can ohio state beat that really you know elite team or at least a team that we think is an elite team and so i think you know if ohio state goes out and beats michigan on sunday then i'm definitely going to uh, have very real confidence in ohio state's final four hopes if State, yeah and, state-
1: and it's it's not only that, it's that they would have beat Michigan and Illinois. Because I think if you want to throw Illinois there, Illinois is not really that far off, um, especially if you look at uh, where they are um, with their metrics. Uh, they're they're a very well-rounded team. They have a big in, in Coburn, and they have a great guard in, in Iowa. So if Ohio State were to go 2-0 and at this point against those two teams, yeah, you're not putting a cap on, on what Ohio State can do in my mind. You also wrote this past week a little bit about the five
0: stars on the Ohio state football team and, you know, how those guys, you know, need to step up for Ohio state to reach its potential in 2021. And I thought we could talk about that a little bit here on the back end of this show, Uh, because if you look at it, Ohio state's going to have 14 five stars on its roster in 2021. Now, five of those guys are freshmen. So obviously they have not had a chance to prove themselves yet in an Ohio state uniform, but if you look at those 14 five-stars, really only two of those guys have established themselves as star players at this point, those being Garrett Wilson and Nicholas petit And There's no question those two guys are both going to be really important to Ohio State's offense in 2021. If you look at the other five-stars who are not freshmen, you have Teron Vincent, Tyreek Johnson, Zach Harrison, Harry Miller, Julian Fleming, Paris Johnson Jr., and Jewel and Jackson Smith and Jigma. I wrote Julian Fleming down on the sheet twice. So that's why I almost said his name twice. But if you look at those seven guys, I think those are definitely seven guys right there, but you go into this spring, you look ahead toward the fall season. Those are seven guys that, you know, people are all going to have their eyes on is, is can that group of guys make the leap to become the five-star players? They're supposed to be at Ohio state.
1: Yeah, the thing that makes this interesting to me is not just like, oh, their former five-starters are supposed to be good. It's that these are where you sometimes find the Chase Youngs, sometimes find the Jeff Okuders, the guys who are the no-doubt-about-it first-round picks who you look at them and you say, okay, this guy is going to be – he's going to be good as a freshman, not play that much as a sophomore. He might be really good in a smaller role as a junior. He breaks out as a, and then after that season, he goes and and becomes a first round pick. And I don't really know outside of Garrett Wilson, if there's a guy who really is on that trajectory to me at this point, you know, maybe you can make the case. Someone like a Jetson Smith and Jigba had that kind of freshman season. Um, but even still his image, his opportunities were so limited. Um, Outside of outside of Garrett Wilson, I just don't know that you have that, and and to me that's important because to me these are these are where you find the kind of guys who are program changers, the kind of guys you can go out and win a national championship for you and propel you to those kind of heights. Uh, like that's you know that's what Justin Fields was, and I'm interested to see you know which of these guys takes the next leap. And if you're if I were to pose that question to you, who are you most confident gets on that path out of out of those guys who? not named Garrett Wilson, not named Nick Petit-Ferrer, who might not be on that path, but is clearly very good. Who's the most likely guy to put themselves on that path this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, again, it's
0: on the path, but I'm going to go Paris Johnson. I, th- I, think pa- I think Paris Johnson, over the next two years, is going to become an elite offensive lineman at Ohio State. I think he's going to be a starting guard this upcoming year, and I think he's going to do really, really well in that role, and then I think we'll ultimately – you know, position himself to, to take over at left tackle as a junior and, and be one of the best offensive tackles in the country. And again, you know, that's just all going off potential right there because we really haven't seen him play much because of how limited the opportunities were last year. But you know, that's just a guy that I, you know, based on everything you hear about him, everybody just talks so highly of him. And, and we know he's so talented that I, I do have a lot of confidence, even in him just being a second year offensive lineman that he's going to be able to step in and make a real impact for Ohio state in 2021.
1: Yeah. That dude feels like he feels like he's on the right path and it almost is, you know, Josh Myers basically set him up, uh, to uh, go down that path or everybody will be disappointed when he basically said this guy's going to be the best offensive lineman in college football by the time he leaves or something went wrong, which is, uh, Quite, quite a statement, but I think that tells you what he's been like behind the scenes. Now I must say, I feel like there's a caveat here that I haven't said before um, about Josh Myers. And that's that Josh Myers made Harry, Harry Miller sound like he was the greatest player of all time uh, when Harry Miller was a true freshman. And the next season, Harry Miller started and Harry Miller wasn't great. So I think that I think that there is that caveat needed when people see that quote which I think is a telling quote. But I also think, you know, sometimes a player's really excited about a teammate and he's not going to fly off to to be the number one pick like Mary Poppins with her umbrella going to the NFL draft uh, after three years and just shooting up there, Uh, which it feels like to me, I sort of buy that's a possibility for Paris Johnson. I don't know that. I don't know that. I I'm ready to say that for sure. But if I if you were to ask me the question of who's the most likely guy to be on that path, I would probably pick Paris Johnson too, because I'm shocked. Yeah. It, it, it I'm sure you're shocked. I've, I've been writing the Paris Johnson train for years now. I, he, he feels like he's on that trajectory in a way that I'm not sure anybody else really is. And that, He was, he forced himself into the lineup a little bit as a true freshman. We saw him at tackle. We saw him at guard. um, And it feels like the comments coming out about him are exactly what you would imagine would come out about a, a, a freshman offensive lineman who people think is going to be really, really, really good.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said before, this is pure projection because let's be honest, we both thought the same thing about Harry Miller last year. We both thought Harry Miller was going to yep. step in and he was going to be great right away. And he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't now, does that mean he won't be great this year? Not at all. And I think, you know, he's another guy definitely that I look at among this group of, you know, if you think about who are the guys in this group that Ohio state really needs to be that five-star guy this year. And you know, I look at two guys, I, I look at Harry Miller because he's probably going to be the new starting center taking over, for Josh Myers, who was really, really solid at that spot this past year. And so I think Ohio state needs Harry Miller to make that jump this year in his third year and, and really become, you know, a star player on their interior offensive line. I think, you know, they have, they have a lot of really good interior offensive line prospects, but I think if that doesn't happen for him, I think that would be a big disappointment. And I think that would create some crest questions there on that interior offensive line. And then Certainly, I think the other guy is Zach Harrison that you look at as a a guy who really needs to make that five star leap in twenty twenty one because you know they did not have that dominant pass rusher last year like they had had before with Chase Young and Nick Bosa before him and Joey Bosa before him and I I, I still look at Zach Harrison as the guy as if anybody's going to be that guy this year because I think you know Jack Sawyer is probably a year away from starting to really become that that. I still look at Zach Harrison as the most likely guy if anyone's gonna break out and be that dominant pass rusher. And a big reason for that is because of a five-star pedigree that he came in with.
1: Yeah, and 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 the important thing is to to that too, like he doesn't need to be Chase Young to have a great impact. Like he just needs to be he, he needs to make offenses think about him and pay attention to him in a way that he really hasn't done before. Um that to me is the really important thing because you're losing Jonathan Cooper, who was Basically, unexpectedly, their best pass rusher last season, and you're replacing him with with mainly Tyree Smith, Zach Harrison, Javante Jean-Baptiste, and Tyler Friday. And out of those guys, yeah, I'm right with you. Like this is the year that you need you need something from Zach Harrison, um, and the other guy I would throw in there, um, who I probably I don't think he's necessarily the most important, but I think if you get something out of him, like it can it can really change something. That's Teron Vincent uh, because we just really haven't seen. Anything out of him. Um, you know, he played less than 100. He played fewer than 100 snaps as a true freshman, missed the entire set, missed his entire second season with an injury, uh, played a little bit, a good bit last season, but but it, he clearly um, was also dealing with some stuff in the offseason when it came to entries as well. Uh, I, I am interested to see if he can have a full healthy offseason, if he can get that guy who I remember before his second season, like Ja'Sean Cornell was saying, you know, he's a wrecking ball. He's that kind of guy, you know, Larry Johnson was saying he he might be that kind of guy who is that pass rushing threat from the three technique spot. And that would also help Ohio State's ability to get a pass rush beyond just having to rely on these unproven defensive ends.
0: Yeah, Ron Vincent and Tyreek Johnson are the two guys in this group that I look at that like. I guess I'm at a point where I'd say like if they become five-star players like they're supposed to be, that would be a bonus for Ohio State because we just haven't seen really anything from them in three years for, to where I can now look at them and say, I think they're going to become the players that they were recruited to be. We just, we just haven't seen it at this point. But they were both five-star recruits for a reason. They both have a lot of natural ability. You know, I think both of them have had their share of injuries that have, have kept them from becoming, you know, the, the players that people thought they were going to be as recruits. But, you know, those are the two guys I look at, you know, individually for them. I think this is very much make or break year for those guys that, you know, they, they, if they're, if they're going to step up, if they're going to break through, it, it's, it's got to happen now. But I think for the team, I, you know, I, they're not guys that I necessarily look at and say I expect them to make a huge impact. In 2021, but it would certainly be a nice bonus for Ohio State if they did.
1: So I sort of wrote about this in the sense that I think that that this might have that these five stars might have the ability to change the fate of the season, to really swing this season, uh, whether they win the national championship or they fall up short, or if they fall short. I think that this sort of crop of guys who, if you look, if you look at them, there are several guys there who Ohio State it seemed like for a while thought would be stars and they're going to be an important roles for the Buckeyes this season. Am I, am I going a little too far on that or or no? I think maybe a little because I I
0: still look at the core of this team and it's, it's mostly a lot of four-star guys. Um, You know, I think, I think if, you know, if those, if those five-star guys that, uh, that group of them as a whole, can really have a huge breakthrough year, then, yeah, that could be the thing that puts this team over the top to, to be that national championship team. But I don't know that I necessarily look at them and say, like, that's what's going to make or break this team because, you know, I, you know, I just look at a lot of positions. Like, again, like I look at the secondary for example and, and Tyree Johnson is not really the guy that I'm looking at there as I think is like the top guy that needs to step up. It's a lot of four-star guys like Seven Banks and and Cam Brown and Josh Proctor and and Laifen Ransom, you know guys like that. But I'm looking at, you know, same thing at linebacker. I'm looking at a lot of four-star guys like Taraja Mitchell and and Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope that really need to emerge. I mean, we've already talked about C.J. Stroud might be the guy at quarterback. That's going to go a, a long way there. So. You know, I, I think it's a blend of it. I mean, I do think that these, that this five-star group. Uh, you know, again, you, you need those guys. I mean, as our friend Ari Wasserman says, stars matter. So certainly having those, you know, five-star superstars on your team—that's uh, typically a component of a national championship team. But do I necessarily look at like those guys being the most important guys to this team's success? I don't know, that I'm there.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. It's, it, it's maybe more so the fact that they are five stars than who they are specifically, because I just view five stars as the guys who should be your stars and the guys who you should be relying on most. And I think that I think that Ohio state only has two guys who I view as on that path right now. And two out of 14, if you're the Buckeyes, to me, that's not good enough to me. That's like, to me that you feel like, um, you're not that much different. Um, than, than other programs um and and i think that ohio state when they have 14 five stars on the roster it certainly boosts them to have more than just two be on that path
0: yeah i think it's fair to say that if you only have two five-star guys who are making a huge impact for your team that you're not going to be good enough to win a national championship so i do think they need uh some guys from that group to, to you know make a real impact in 2021 and I, I think that will happen i think just the question is how much because like you said i mean i think we both think Garrett Wilson's a stud. Uh, I think Nicholas petit Frere was fantastic last year, but I think the rest of those guys all absolutely have something to prove this year.
1: We've got a couple more questions. All right. So Min Buck can start us off with a question. You know, you mentioned stars matter. So I know what our friend Ari Washerman would, would answer this as, but rank these terms in, in terms of the impact they have on a college football program, recruiting, player development, X's and O's.
0: Yeah, this has been everybody's favorite debate, it seems, for the past year among, you know, recruiting people and college football people in terms of uh, what's the most important. Um, You know, and I I think it's hard because, like, I think, you know, I don't think it really is linear to where you can just say one is clearly most important, one is clearly least important. That said, I would put recruiting at the top because I do think, you know, There's a very, very clear correlation if you look at who are the teams that are doing the best in recruiting every year and then who are the teams that are winning national championships and making the college football playoff. There's a very clear correlation between those recruiting rankings and and the college football playoff teams every year. So I I do think recruiting is number one because I think ultimately there's only a certain number of teams that have that kind of talent to be at the elite of the elite where Ohio State is. And, and I'd also say too that you know in in terms of a college football program, I think when if we're talking about Ohio State, I think the emphasis on recruiting at Ohio State being the most important thing is probably bigger than it is at say an Iowa State, where you know Iowa State's probably never going to win a national championship, but they're able to overperform because of player development, because of X's and O's. Um, I think you know a, a program like that shows you how important those other things are when their recruiting rankings haven't been anything special. But I think for a program like Ohio State, to me, you know, recruiting is that lifeblood. You've got to have that elite recruiting to have that chance to really compete with the best of the best teams uh, in the country. You know maybe the other two for me are, are close. You know I, I think I would put player development too and X's and O's free. But I think some of that probably just kind of depends on like what your perspective is. Like I've always been a big, like NFL draft guy. Like I love, um, you know, just like watching player development and like seeing how players develop. I'm not a huge X's and O's guy. Somebody who's been involved in coaching more, I'd imagine might, might disagree with me some on that. Uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly, but to me, I'd put player development number two, because again, I think, ultimately, you know, most of the time football comes down to who has the best players on the field and you can have the greatest scheme in the world. But if you don't have great players to go execute it, that scheme is going to be limited by the talent you have.
1: Yeah, I think you made a really good point earlier, which is I think my answer is different for Ohio State than it is at other programs. I really do. I think if I if we were talking about a Mac program, I might put. I might go player development first, X and o second, recruiting third, because I think that that's what wins at that kind of level. And, and if you're developing players at a really high rate, um, I, think that that, I think that that matters maybe more so than recruiting. But to me, if you're trying to win a national championship, there's two of these that are prerequisites that if you don't have them, I just don't think you can get there. And that is my number one is recruiting. And it's like if you're not recruiting at a really high level at Ohio State, you're not going to win the national championship. So that to me, it's like that's a number one prerequisite. I don't even like exit are great, player development's great, but if the players aren't the best in the country, you're not gonna win it all anyway. So who cares? <laughs> so to me, that's number one, recruiting's number one. And and that's why to me, player development's number two, because that's just knows are really, really important. But if you're recruiting really well and you're not developing players, Congratulations, you're Tennessee. Like you need, you need, you need to develop your players. You're, you're, you're Texas, or someone like that. Like you it's pretty clear that player development is really, really important. Um, so to me, those are prerequisites to get into the national championship. And once you're there, X's and O's are really, 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 really important. And you cannot diminish that at all. But you're not getting there if your X's and O's are awesome and your recruiting sucks. Like you're just not. So to me at Ohio State. Recruiting and player development are prerequisites, and the that those are prerequisites to even get you to have the possibility of going to the national championship game. To win it all, you need all three, of course. Uh, but you don't need the X's and O's until you get there, and you're not getting there without the recruiting or the player development. But Colin, is Texas back? Um, I'm waiting for them to win one game and their quarterback in the post game press conference to declare it again.
0: Final question for this week comes from another Michigan loss. And it says, we talk consistency of a culture of a football program and how kids want to be a part of it. One thing I have never heard is an explanation of the key driving aspects of the program that shape that culture. What does OSU do differently than other programs that may need an overhaul in this department? I mean, The tough thing I think about answering this question from my perspective is that I think a lot of that stuff that builds – a culture is stuff that happens behind the scenes, stuff that we don't see, you know, in a game, or even if we get to go watch a practice or even get to talk to guys, I think a lot of this stuff is, is stuff that we don't necessarily uh, see. I, and I, I do think, you know, I mean, whenever I hear of a world culture and you're probably in the same boat Colin, that like, there's a part of me, that thinks like cliche alert in my brain as a journalist. Cause like, I think a lot of times it's, it's, it's just a word that, you know, gets thrown around and I don't know if there's always necessarily a concrete meaning behind it.
1: Yeah. But it's it, the same thing with brotherhood. Like how correct. I think sometimes I think Ohio state believes that it has brotherhood trademarked or something like that's a thing that a lot of programs talk about. Yeah. I mean, I, I think
0: it is real that Ohio state has a, you know, stronger program culture than, a lot of other programs and I think that is a reason why Ohio State has been so consistently successful but I don't know if there's like a secret sauce that I can necessarily identify and I guess that that's what the question's asking for so I apologize if I don't have a great answer to the question but you know I I think a lot of stuff it, it happens so much behind the scenes and I think you know the one thing is like I know like like I used to cover Clemson and they say the same stuff there. If you go to Alabama, they say the same stuff there. All of these programs believe they have the best culture, the best brotherhood. And I think, you know, the fact that Ohio state has been so successful would indicate that Ohio state really does have one of the strongest program cultures out there. But to say, you know, what is the one thing that you know really sets them apart in that area? Um, you know, I mean, I think, a part of it goes back to the last question, but like if you're recruiting elite players and if you're recruiting guys who are both, you know, really talented football players and are also really dedicated to the craft, I think that's the lifeblood of building a really strong program, you know, and then I think, you know, that continuity piece that Ryan Day's been preaching as well. I think that's a big part of that as well as that he wants to maintain a staff continuity that can, you know, build the program the way he wants it to be built and, and to maintain that. I think when you're keeping the same coaches in place, when you're keeping guys like Mickey Marathi and Mark Pantoni in place, I think that helps build a certain kind of expectation within the program that then, you know, even when you have players leave for one class and you have a new class of players coming in, it kind of keeps this same standard within the program that, Everybody aspires to. And so I think that's a big part of, you know, that culture piece of it that's enabled Ohio State to take the talent it has and succeed with it.
1: I think to me, culture is often, I mean, culture is just a buzzword. Like, what really is culture? I think a lot of times, you know, when you, when I think about what programs that have quote unquote good culture have that programs that quote unquote have bad culture don't have, I think a lot of it's just like, People, people buying into the same message, believing the same thing, and trying to achieve it together um, with the same means. And that is, you know, you have Mickey Mirati, who's the quote-unquote culture setter. Uh, you have him on the same page as Ryan Day. You have the assistant coaches on the same page as Ryan Day. You have the players believing what the assistant coaches are saying. And when everybody's on the same page, there's a good culture, typically. I think that a lot of times it just comes down to that. And it comes down to the head coach being a really good leader and getting everybody on the same page, believing and buying in to what he wants and what they need. I think if you look at Ohio State basketball this season, you could probably you'd probably say that they have a really good culture right now um, because they really they really believe and buy into to what Chris Holman and his staff are doing. Um,
0: and if you looked at Ohio and, State basketball at the end of the Fad Meta era, they did not have that.
1: No, they didn't. Um, and I think that a lot of times culture just comes down to that. It comes down to guys buying in um, and believing in each other. I think that that's where the Mickey Marotti, um keeping Mickey Marathi from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, and then even again, like I know some people were worried he might go join Urban Meyer. Just like keeping, keeping him on for the long haul is important because you keep some of what that Urban Meyer culture was in place. And, and it's pretty clear at this point, like Ryan Day and, and Mickey Marathi have a great relationship um, and they believe in the same things. And to have all of that, um, all of that continuity, which is Ryan Day's favorite, favorite word, and people buying into the exact same thing and, and believing in the same message and working toward it together. That's what ultimately is a good culture. I think that you can, you can get, you can, you can get bogged down in some of the details, but I think that's what it often just comes back to.
0: Yeah, if you're doing a bingo card for an Ohio State press conference, you got to have continuity, culture, and brotherhood on there because those are three very popular words uh, from the Ohio State football program.
1: Yeah, I'm and out fight. On all
0: – And fight. Fight,
1: fight. fight was a big one. Fight's it like depend- the
0: free space in the middle.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'll be interested to see what their buzzword is. Ryan Day always – he comes into every – each new year, he has a new thing that it's clear. It's like, okay, so we're going to hear this every single time that anybody within the program speaks for the entirety of the rest of the year. And Herb Meyer did that too with the chase yeah, and I all mean, that. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's just sports. If I hear Dwayne Washington um, speak about the same things again, Dwayne Washington has given like the same interview every single day for the last three years, which <laughs> is like, you know, you just sort of, it feels like at this point, he has bought into what Chris Oldman wants. So um, I don't know. I think that those are, I think that's what it, that's what culture often comes down to, to me. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode
0: of real pod Wednesdays. Thanks again for listening in and we'll talk to you again next week.